0: We continue in our series on worship. It's actually the 10th message uh, in this series as we focused on worship. What is it? Who do we worship? What are we to be doing uh, in worship? Uh, looked at private worship, family worship. Uh, but the last couple sermons and today as well and moving forward is focusing kind of on this service, uh, public worship in this gathering. You know, what is what is happening here? What are we what are we doing here? And why are we doing uh, what we do, do we have the right to do anything is a, is a fair question to ask as well as we, as we worship God. What should be our, our focus? And so uh, last week, our focus was on Lord's Supper. This week, as I said, is baptism. Uh, you can go ahead and turn to Acts 2. That'll be the first place I read Acts 2, verse 36 through 41. We'll jump around in Acts a little bit uh, this morning but when thinking about these ordinances, the Lord's Supper and baptism that the Lord has given us and he's commanded us as churches uh, to do, we start to think of what is their value maybe, or how important are they really in the life of this church and other churches? Do these ordinances that God has given us, do they have, do they have any power within them? Thinking about that, I came across a good illustration. It's actually a book we have in the bookstall in the back. Uh, it's called Truth We Can Touch by uh, Tim Chester is his name. And on page 16 in there, he's, he's arguing for the importance of Lord's Supper and baptism and seeing them and the power that they have, even though uh, they are symbolic in nature. This is the example he gives. I, I think this will touch home Uh, To Some of you after giving some examples. He says this or imagine someone burning the stars and stripes Or the union jack or the flag of whatever happens to be your home country We've all seen pictures of a crowd of people on the television uh, news cheering as the flag of their enemy burns Why is this act so emotive after all it's just a piece of cloth Yet a burning flag is powerful For the crowd, it provides a focus for protests and a release of frustration. For others, it provokes anger. They may feel somehow personally violated. In one sense, symbols and signs have no intrinsic value. A photo is just a piece of paper. A flag is just a piece of cloth. But intuitively, we know they are much more than the materials from which they are made. We invest them with meaning. And the meaning is, well, meaningful. They are full of meaning. There can be a real and strong link between signs and the things they signify. Baptism is just water. Communion is just bread and wine. But there is no just about it. The sacraments are full of meaning. They have power. I thought that was helpful to think about power that the Lord's Supper and baptism has. Now, sadly, we, we water them down. There are some of you here today who would be very frustrated maybe with the generation below you because of how they treat the flag of America. It wasn't too long ago. Everybody was really upset because an NFL football player took a knee during our national anthem. Now, why were we so upset about that? It's Because the anthem has some power behind it, doesn't it? I mean, it's just a song but what does the song represent and what does it mean, right? And there was a lot of uh, frustration that goes along with that because there's power in that, of, again, of, of what it represents. Now, in thinking about that, later in the book, Tim Chester gave a, another little scenario, and I want to pose this scenario to you as well. What if Lord's Supper and baptism never happened here again? how long do you think it would take for you to go, huh, I don't think we've done Lord's Supper in a while. Or how long would it take for you to go, baptism, I haven't even heard it talked about much. I haven't, I haven't seen the baptistry full. I haven't seen people baptized. How long do you think it would take for you to really be bothered by that? Especially in a, in a Baptist church, I think baptism would be first. You'd hear people saying, what's going on? But Lord's Supper, I really think it would take a while. It would take a long while before you said, you know what? I haven't had Lord's Supper in a long time. Now, where the rubber hits the road on this, how long would it take you to come to me as your pastor and complain if we didn't sing on Sunday? How long would it take? I would say one week. I would say the first Sunday that happened, there would be a line saying, what is going on here? Or what if we just stopped preaching? Which sadly has happened in a lot of churches, and there's not a huge outcry about it. What if there was no preaching? We just sang. Would you you say anything? I would hope so. I would hope after a, a while you would say so. But yet, with these ordinances that God has given us in Lord's Supper in baptism, the Bible tells us that there is power behind these things that he's given us, yet too often we don't want to view them that way, and I think we have to be careful about that. We need to stop watering down these ordinances and holding them up to what they truly are, and like I said, last week we, we looked at that with Lord's Supper. If you weren't here, you can go and uh, listen to it. I wish you would have been here uh, to hear that, but this week the focus is baptism, I told you to turn in Acts chapter 2. We're going to read <clears throat> from three different places in Acts. I think you can flip there fast enough as I uh, go through these. Uh, but the way I want to start this message is looking at the pattern that we see in the New Testament when it comes to baptism. And so in Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 41, uh, it's the day of Pentecost, Peter here Preaching. And in verse 36, it says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked crooked generation. So those who received his word and were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is one of the things that we see, and I want you to see the pattern. I didn't read all of Peter's sermon, but Peter had just preached a sermon about who Christ was, The people then, in response to hearing the word of God, talked about and preached this man, Jesus. It says all of a sudden they respond to it. God worked in their life and they say, all right, you've told us all this. What should we do? What do we do about this? And he said, you need to repent and be baptized. And they followed then in that and they were baptized. Now this is a common pattern because if you flip over in your Bible now to Acts 8, go ahead and take your Bible and flip over to Acts chapter 8. This will be on the screen as well, I'm sure. But in Acts 8, beginning in verse 34 through 38, we see a very famous baptism with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now, I'm cutting some of it out just for time. But it says, and the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Now, they were reading from the book of Isaiah. And it talked about somebody bearing sins. It talked about a sacrifice, and the, and the eunuch, uh, Philip, is asking him, do you know what this says? The eunuch is saying, how, how would I know this? And so he asked Philip here, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. So again, I I read this so that you see the pattern. The word of God is shared. The gospel then is believed. God does a work in their life, and the believer is then baptized. One more place to turn to in Acts 16. Acts chapter 16. Beginning in verse 13. It says, And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed upon us. So again, I want you to see the pattern in all of these that is happening. First, the gospel is shared. The word of God is being shared, and this is very important. Because it's the word of God that is used to share with the unbeliever the truth of who Jesus is. And that needs to be done first. This is what the Bible says about Jesus. This is your need for Jesus. Peter himself, when he's preaching, uses scripture. He, he talks about Joel's prophecy and other things. How Philip in Acts eight, what did he do? He started in Isaiah, used scripture, to then talk about Jesus, to tell them about Jesus, God saves the person and they are baptized. Or Paul, sharing with these women. He's sharing about Christ, the one that he used to fight against, right? The one that he didn't want anything to do with, but who had, who had saved him, who had opened his eyes to the truth, and now he is sharing this with these women. There was no church to go to, so he sits by a tree thinking, I think this is a place people come to pray. Some women come, he starts sharing with them, and what happens? God uses his word to, to save this lady, and then also her whole household, and then they're baptized. And so first, the gospel is shared, but then secondly, the gospel is believed. There's a response in each of these cases to the word of God being shared. The individual person, right, trusts that what is being said is true, and not just that, but it's true in the sense that God has done that for them. That they trust that, I believe that God has done this for me in in Christ. So they hear it and they believe it. And if you notice what I read in Acts 16 verse 14 with Lydia, it says very clearly, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention. Now students, if I were you, I would use this verse against my parents when I don't pay attention in church, I would say the Lord just didn't open my heart this morning. (laughs) That's what I I would say, but I'm a smart mouth and you shouldn't be. But what happened it's showing us that lydia didn't do this on her own it told us that she was a worshiper of god but then it says but but god opened her heart to actually hear what paul was saying and she trusted in that she believed in that and god just like he has been doing for centuries now uses his word to pierce the hearts of the lost, to open the eyes of the blind, to see this is who Jesus is. See, most people in our world, or when I say in our world, I don't mean the big world, I mean your world and what you live in. If you say the name Jesus, they kind of know what that is. They kind of know who that is. They've seen the documentaries, they've watched National Geographic, whatever it might be. They might've uh, went to church when they were younger. And so it's not shocking necessarily for them to hear the name Jesus, but they haven't trusted in him. They don't really know who he is. And the answer to why they don't know is because their eyes haven't been opened. Their ears have not been opened to the truth yet. And there's only one way for that to happen. That's for the word of God to be shared and for God to do a work in their life to open up their eyes to that truth. In Romans uh, chapter one, verse 16, Paul in his thesis statement for Romans, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Well, why? I think we all say, okay. But why is he not ashamed? For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'm, I'm pointing out this pattern because I'm afraid at times, we as individual Christians uh, churches even in general, have become ashamed of the gospel. That we're afraid to share the gospel openly, honestly, and every week because we're afraid that it offends. We're afraid that it, that it might hurt. But the truth of the matter is it's the only thing that can actually open up the eyes of the blind. Nothing else can do that. Paul would say, I didn't come to you with these magical words. I didn't come to you with eloquent speech. Do you know that that's what they would teach me as a pastor? Man, you got you to come with better speeches. Maybe you should change the way you preach, and it, it should function more as a TED talk nowadays. Because the way you're coming across is very offensive to people. Right? And, and so you got you to gotta change your tactics. And so, because we're ashamed of the gospel, instead of talking about sin, instead of talking about how Christ would bear the wrath of God, all this stuff that is actually fantastic news, instead we we're ashamed of it, and so we push it aside, and all we wanna talk about is love. But not love in its true form, not love in its true sense, a, a love that is watered down, a love that actually is fake, a love that is uh, what, what my little daughter would think, is unicorns, right? And, and things that, that fly, doggies that fly, This is cuddly and, and lovey. And we've turned God into this. What is that? It's us being ashamed of the gospel. I'm not saying we're mean. I'm not saying we don't tell people, hey, God loves you, because there's a truth God does love you. He loves you so much, He would send His only Son to die for you. But why did He need to die for you? Because you're a sinner because you're separated from God. Your sin has separated you completely from God. But listen, God does love you. He made a way for you to be reconciled to him, and it's not by you going and doing. It's about what Christ has done. This is the gospel that we are unashamed of, and this is the gospel that God uses to prick the hearts of sinners, to open their eyes to the truth so that they can say, I believe, God, that you have done this for me. I trust fully in you because of what Christ has done for me. And almost every time in Scripture when we see this happen, when God uses his word powerfully, and people by faith respond to what God has happened, baptism takes place after. We see it all throughout Scripture that baptism then takes place after. So when we're asking the question, who can be baptized? Well, I think from the evidence that we see in scripture, the answer to this is those who have believed. Those who have believed in Christ and what he has done. In each case of baptism in the New Testament, baptism always comes after this faith in Christ, this work by God in their life. In fact, when Paul is writing in Romans chapter six, verses one through four, You notice how he just assumes that those Christians who he is writing to are baptized. I'll read it, Romans 1 through four. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Throughout the early church, the practice seems to be trust in Christ, then be baptized with very little time in between. Very little time in between. And I say that as one who, I'm very nervous and anxious when it comes to this thing they call spontaneous baptisms. I'm not super comfortable with that as a pastor, but I don't, see in scripture where maybe I should always be super uncomfortable with that, to be honest with you. I don't know how well I could back it up. I feel as a pastor, it's my job to talk with the person. Have you really trusted in Christ? And sometimes I worry, maybe I take it too far. I need proof. I need to see it for a little bit. Yet in scripture, the person comes forward. Peter, what should we do? Repent and be baptized. And they went and were baptized. The eunuch, here's water. What's stopping us? Philip's like, nothing. Let's do it. With Lydia. I believe in this God. I believe he saved me in the blood of Christ. Baptized. So we see that these believers are being baptized, but it's important to know that the Bible never gives us an idea that Christians have a right to choose to not be baptized. Hear that, please. Because I'm afraid some of you here this morning is that's what you're doing. You're saying, I choose to not be baptized, and you don't have that right as a Christian, as a believer. We don't see it anywhere. Again, I mentioned this last week. Many people point to the thief on the cross as proof that salvation comes uh, without baptism. But here's the problem. I'm not arguing that salvation comes from baptism. I'm not. Yes, I believe that thief on the cross is with Christ in glory. Why, because Jesus said that. But That was an odd situation. I'll bet if you asked that man, hey, would you rather be crucified or baptized today? He would have said, I will take baptism, please. He didn't have the right. He wasn't able to. He couldn't get off that cross. He could not be baptized. And so you're talking about a situation that is very, very abnormal. And so I don't think we can necessarily go to that when saying, you know, I don't need to be baptized. No, you do because Christ has told us to be baptized. And what we learn with baptism is baptism, and I'm gonna use a phrase here that I actually talked to Pastor Spencer a lot about it uh, this week, and it's a phrase that you heard, and that's why I wanna bring it up. In baptism, we talk about it as a public profession of faith. But we do have to be careful of what we mean by public profession of faith. And what I say by that, what I mean by that is this. When those waters are troubled, it's nothing about what these individual people have done. It's about what God has done for them. And we gotta remember that. We have to remember that. I think Pastor Spencer said this, but he stole it from somewhere because I had already read it, and he doesn't know that I had already read it. But he said this, and I thought it was very helpful. A lot of us, and parents, I want to warn you of this. We view that thing right there as the end. It's over. A kid trusted in Christ, he was baptized, the end. That is the beginning. That water is the beginning. God has saved you. God has redeemed you. And when you follow him in baptism, as we're called to do, the Bible tells us that God has sealed you, that he has sealed you in his grace, that he, as Paul was talking about in Romans 6, 1 through 4 there, he has buried you, he has rose you, and you've walked in a new life, all in Christ, all in Jesus And so those baptismal waters being troubled is God declaring who I am in him and resting then in his work and in him and what he has done. Sadly, today we have switched a profession of faith by baptism, a sealing by baptism to your profession of faith is getting out of your pews and walking here and kneeling and praying. When you do this, you're telling everybody, look at what God has done. That is not what God has prescribed for us. It doesn't say that anywhere. That's not a a seal. That's not a a sign of what God has done in a believer's life. You will not find that in Scripture anywhere. What it says is if you want to have a sign for what God has done in your life, then get in the pool. Get in the pool and be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is the sign. This is the seal that is necessary. So we have to hold baptism up to that standard. Paul said there in Romans, it's what unites us to Christ's death, his burial and his resurrection. And we shouldn't take that lightly. Again, we do not teach and we do not believe that baptism saves you at all. Paul is very clear there in Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul said to the Romans, baptism is what unites you to Christ. It's death, his burial, and his resurrection. Do you not see this? do you not understand this? Don't make light of this, of what's happening and what's taking place here. And on top of that, I'd already said, Jesus commands us to be baptized. This should be enough for us. Yet, sadly, too often it isn't. But when we're baptized, we're following the commands of the one who we say, he has saved us. He is my Lord and he is my savior. And I have to be honest with you. If you're here this morning, and you're telling me that you are a Christian, yet you can sit here and say, I will not be baptized. I gotta ask you, are you really a Christian? Are you? What's stopping you? I don't like being in front of people. I don't see that caveat. Bella don't like being in front of people. And there she went. I just don't think it's needed for salvation. While you're right, salvation does show fruits and it shows a willingness to obey Christ and the things that He calls us to. And the very first thing that He seems to call us to is baptism. What's what hinders you? Right? What what is stopping you? Well, the next question is how is baptism to be done? In the New Testament, the word used for baptism is baptizo. This means immersion. It means drowning, really, uh, which I haven't done yet. Almost got Mike drowned when I baptized him because he's like 6'5 and weighed more than me, I think. But we continue to follow this pattern of being laid down by Jesus himself at his baptism, as well as Philip with the eunuch. Right? We see this with Jesus' baptism. We see this with here with, with Philip and the eunuch. And, and while we have an immersion, and I, I, think, I think it would be silly for us to start saying, the mode of baptism doesn't matter. I do think there are special circumstances where we have to deal with some things. Just like the thief on the cross I said, right? That was a, that was a very odd circumstance happening there. And I'm sure other circumstances would come up, but we need to be careful that we trust and hold on to the mode of baptism that God has given us of full immersion. And you say, well, Pastor Tim, I feel like that's just being a little too, I don't know, nuanced. Uh, Maybe we shouldn't worry about it too much, but I, I think we need to. And the reason is because of the picture that it gives us. The picture that it gives us is very important. Because as I said before, a lot of you guys are visual learners, and what God gives us in baptism is a visual. Here walks in, A sinner, dirty, full of sin, unable to do anything on their own. But in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, they are now put to death, buried in the ground, with Christ himself, buried underwater, but being cleansed. Being cleansed, being made clean, and brought up with all that water falling off, but the picture is, all that grime falling off, and now standing, normally with a smile on their face. Why? Because they have been made new. 100% new. And so for Miss, Miss Carol there, the carol that went under is not the same carol that came up. Is new. In Christ. In Him. Made whole. And so I think the mode of baptism is important and something We should hold to because of the visual that it gives us. Lastly, we ask the question what is happening in baptism? And I want to word it as a threefold discussion that is taking place. Uh, First, God is saying something. The one being baptized is saying something, but also uh, the church is saying something. Well, what is God saying? Well, in baptism, God's voice is the main voice that needs to be heard. And what God is saying to all of us here, all of us here who witness this baptism, is God is saying, this one who enters this baptismal pool, I have saved, I have reconciled them, I have redeemed them through the blood of my son, Jesus, and they are mine, and you're about to see it be sealed forever. That's what God is saying In this, he is giving us a sign of what he has done through Christ in this person. A sinner being made clean, being made whole. Well, also the one being baptized is saying something. The baptized person is saying, I have received the grace of God through faith. I've trusted in Christ wholeheartedly, And he has adopted me into his family. I know he has. He has has forgiven me. He has has saved my soul. And I'm being baptized because of that, because of what he has done. And yes, it's done publicly. It's done in front of the church. But that's that's what the baptized person is saying. Just like the Ethiopian eunuch trusts in him. What hinders me from being baptized? Let me be baptized. But then also, the church is saying something. I don't know if you guys realize that, but as you sit here as a member of this church and as we baptize those who Christ has saved, the church is saying something there in a baptism. As I baptize somebody as the pastor, representative of this church, I'm standing in the baptistry, and I I baptize this person who's trusted in Christ, who's been saved by God, what am I doing? You are part of our family now. Our family that God has made, not that we've made, but that God has made in Christ. Right? And as a church, we are declaring this truth according to the word of God and to the testimony of the one being baptized. Saying, this is, is one of us, because God has done a work in their life. Not because I initiated it, not because you initiated it, not because some parents initiated it, but because God has initiated it. And as a church, we are saying, amen, amen, I agree, amen. Another one in the family, another one saved by the blood of the lamb, another sinner like me saved in our fold to care for, to love for. And so the church is speaking as well when this happens. There's another book, it's called Going Public. It's by a man, his name's Bobby Jameson. And in his book, he says there's six things that are happening in baptism. I'm just gonna say them real quickly because I think they're helpful. Of the six things, he says, number one, a public profession of faith and repentance is happening. There's also a sign of forgiveness and cleansing. There's a sign of union with Christ and his death and his burial and his resurrection a sign of new life in Christ. Think about that. I think we take that for granted. You know, something that's so rarely taken for granted, oftentimes in in my experience, and I guess sadly it is taken for granted in a lot of other cases. But when I've walked into a birthing room and there's a baby there, there's such excitement and joy. Baby's healthy, mom is healthy. Why is everybody so excited? There's new life. There's new life. Life has been born. The image of God again, there in this baby. In baptism, we celebrate a new life. A new life has been born, not of themselves. Remember Nicodemus asking, how does this happen? And Jesus says, you must be born again in order to enter into the kingdom. And Nicodemus is like, what? Enter into my mother's womb again? No, you don't get it. That's what we see in baptism. The born again. A new life. And it should excite us. Uh, Fifthly, he said a sign of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then lastly, a sign of the dawning of a new creation. You know, it's interesting in the New Testament, Paul does this, Peter does this, But I don't know if you have ever heard this. I would ask in your life, have you ever been challenged in this way? So often in the New Testament, Paul and Peter, when talking to Christians who are backsliding or talking to Christians who are struggling, they don't normally say, remember your salvation. They almost always point them, remember your baptism. Remember, you have been sealed in his death, his burial and his resurrection. Do you remember your baptism? Remember this. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 15, we see an example of this, of Paul reminding the church of their baptism. This will be the last passage that I read. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you are also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who are dead in your trespasses and and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him and, and trying to help this struggling church. He says, do you remember your baptism? You are buried in him. And the encouraging thing about how they remind people about their baptism, it's not saying Remember what great faith you showed by walking into those waters and being dunked? Have that faith again. That's not what's happening. Paul's saying, do you not remember what happened in your baptism? What it was pointing us to? The truth that it was bearing? You died. You were born again. He raised you anew and forgave you and saved you. And now you think some principalities, you think some powers, you think think somebody can take that from you? You think somebody can hurt you? You think that you can be knocked down and destroyed? No. Remember your baptism. Remember what it stands for. Remember what it means and rest in the work that God has done for you and sealed you in in your baptism. Now I ask you, have you ever been challenged in that way before? I hadn't. I hadn't. I'd always been challenged in a way that was more about my faith. Don't you remember, Tim, when you kneeled by your parents' bed and you trusted? Don't you remember, Tim, when you got baptized and you, you made this decision in front of everybody, even though you didn't want to, you were nervous about it, but you did that. Do that again. Have that faith again. But if you're like me, problem sometimes is I look back and I think I don't know what seven and eight year old Tim thought I, I, don't, I don't know what he thought I hope I was smart enough to get it I hope I had enough faith to really trust and so those types of challenges never worked on me because I thought you're telling me to trust in me I can't do that that doesn't work But what Paul is telling these churches and what Peter is telling these churches, he's saying, remember what God has done? You didn't baptize yourself. You didn't do that work. It's a work he sealed you in. It's the blood of Christ that you've been saved through. Remember that, Tim. Oh, yeah. Even though in my heart I'm doubting, even though in my life I'm struggling right now, but I remember, Tim, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about him and what he has done, and that's what my baptism signified. So Paul encourages the church in this way. Remember your baptism. I'll end with this. One of the things that people compare baptism to a lot is a marriage ceremony. I think this can be helpful, and maybe this will be helpful to you. When you think about uh, one of the more important parts of a wedding ceremony, uh, probably the most important part is the most important part is signing the document or else you're not married. We found that out a bad way before. You got to sign the document, okay? The second most important part, I guess, would be the rings. The time with the rings. Because you, you stand facing each other and you're, you're committing vows to each other. And you slide that ring on their finger and you repeat after the pastor and you say those words that you'll love them forever in sickness and in health until death do us part. And you slide that ring on their finger and then it's repeated again, with the wife to the husband. Now what are those rings I have a ring on? This ring is a sign of a marriage covenant and vow that I've made with my wife. Now let's say during the ceremony The pastor goes to the best man and says, Will you give me the rings now? And the best man stares at him and goes, Oh no. Would they still be married? Would they still be married? Absolutely. Something's missing, isn't it? Something important. And so after that service, they would find the rings and they would still slide those rings on each other's fingers. Why? They're married. Why the ring? Because it's a sign. It's a seal. I am hers, and she is mine. And we notice that. We see that on people's fingers. Some of you look for it. I know you do. You stare at it. Uh, It doesn't have any worth. This one that I have on is made of some sort of rubber. It's like my fourth one. They stretch out and they go away. It literally has very little worth in and of itself. But what it represents to me is very powerful. It's because it's a loving relationship with someone who has vowed herself to me forever. No matter how ornery I get, no matter how frustrating I can be, no matter how sick I might end up, and it's gonna require her maybe a ton of work And a life that maybe she didn't expect, but because she loves me, she's going to be there for me. That is what she has promised, and this is a sign of that. So is the same with baptism. It's like that ring ceremony. I am his because of what he's done for me. Can you imagine if you looked at your spouse and they're like, I will not wear that ring. Well, why? It is embarrassing what you're like what you would have a problem with that now some of you guys in here are like i don't have mine i don't have mine on i don't wear one i've made a deal and maybe you've worked that out in your marriage okay that's where the analogy might fall apart but in baptism we have that ring ceremony and then with lord's supper it's like the anniversary again and again and again The Lord's Supper points us back to that ring. This is what Christ has done. He sealed me. I am his and as I eat of this bread and I drink of this cup, I remember what he has done until he comes again and I get to dine and sup with him in glory forever. The ordinances of baptism, the ordinances of Lord's Supper unites us in Christ brings us together, and let us not fall prey to watering it down. Help us, help us to hold them up for what they are and what they mean. God gave us these things for a purpose, and as we worship the Lord together, let us be faithful to continue in these ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper so that we can be faithful to the things that he's called us to. This morning, I don't know where you stand with God. I have no idea, but I know some of you have walked in here. You've never trusted in Christ at all. When I talked about your sin and you needing to die to your sin and being raised to new life, my hope and prayer is that God will do for you what he did to Lydia. Will open your heart up to see this and to understand this. And maybe for you this morning, that's happened. And I hope that by faith, you trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. I'd love to talk to you about it. For some of you here this morning, the way you need to respond is very simple. You need to come up to me, to Pastor Spencer, Scott, or Dave, and you need to say, hey, when can I be baptized? You need to follow him in that. You need to do that. You need to stop putting it off. Question is, what hinders you this morning from being baptized? There are others of you this morning who need to remember your baptism as Paul would encourage the church. It's been a long time since you've thought about it and you need to remember your baptism and what it symbolizes and ask yourself, are you living your life as if you have been baptized in Christ? Are you truly being obedient to him and and following him and and serving him? or, Or have you kind of pushed those things away and when you remember your baptism, you're just like, I'm good. And you don't take your walk seriously anymore. That thing was an end game, not the beginning. This morning, I wanna challenge you to deal with that with God. Because our baptism is the beginning of a walk with the Lord, as Paul would say, that he runs the race. He doesn't look to the left, he doesn't look to the right, he looks to the prize, he looks to the goal, and he runs that race. And as Christians, we need to be faithful to run that race well. So I hope you'll respond to the word of God this morning. I'm gonna pray and then after prayer, we're gonna sing and we're gonna let you respond to God's word how you see fit this morning. So let's bow together and let's pray. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for your word and the truth of it. I thank you for these signs and seals that you've given us in baptism and Lord's Supper. God, I thank you for that beautiful picture that you've given us. I thank you, God, that you start out this new life in you with this act of baptism that we can look back on with such great joy of understanding that it's a work that you have done. So God, I pray for those people here this morning who've been Christians maybe a long time, they're growing tired and weary. I pray that you would encourage in them by helping them think back to their baptism, to reminding them that they are yours. You have saved them, that you buried them with Christ that you lowered them into the pit with Christ, but that you've rose them up with him into new life. So God, I pray they'd be encouraged by that this morning. God, I pray for those here this morning who've never trusted in you. Open their hearts this morning to the gospel. Help them to see the truth. God, I pray that you would save their soul. God, help us to respond to your word how we should this morning. Help us to sing this song as worship we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.